Let me say most of us at one time or another have craved the praise and love of our fathers. Whether we received it or we never did, whether our fathers were quick to encourage or quick to criticize or completely absent and silent has made a huge difference to who we are today and how we have lived. For some of us, this craving was well-placed in respectable yet flawed fathers, and we should be thankful for that. For the others of us, this craving was entrusted to men who in their sin and brokenness did not deserve such an important role in our lives. Either way, what I want to say is that this craving speaks of a deeper longing and a need in our hearts, one I pray that you have already received, and that is the love and acceptance of our Heavenly Father. So far in the book of Mark, we have seen and heard Mark declare who Jesus is. We have also seen and heard who John the Baptist declared Jesus to be. And today we're going to get to see and hear what God the Father says about who Jesus is. And I want to tell you that this matters. Who he is matters to his mission and who he is should matter to you and your heart. So I want to start by reading. We're in Mark chapter 1. Starting in verse 9, we're going through verse 11. Again, this is Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. It says this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And then he came up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Again, who Jesus is matters to his mission, and it should matter to us. Now, we're going to look at that. Before we do, I want to make a quick mention. Here in this passage, we see one of the first and clearest um, expressions of the theology of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons working in unity for one grand purpose. What we see here is that the Father speaks, the Holy Spirit is visible, and Jesus, the Son, is glorified. What I want to remind us of right now is that this writing in the book of Mark is one of the earliest writings For the new church taking place just within decades, two decades, give or take, of Jesus' death. And by then they already had a very clear formation of an understanding of the Trinity. Though they didn't necessarily use that word then. But they understood God to be one God in three persons. And we see that in our passage here. I just want to say this is not Mark's purpose, which means we're not going to focus on it today. But it's worth seeing and understanding and believing. We live in a world where there are voices from many different fronts that will say, no, the Trinity isn't a thing or doesn't exist. And I want to tell you, if you don't believe it, then let's have a conversation because it's all over the scriptures. 
What we will see here today, and this is the focus of Mark and what he brings to us and what he presents is who Jesus is. And you may remember that this is exactly what the entire book of Mark is about. We are going to spend the next many, 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 many weeks talking about who Jesus is through the book of Mark. And today we get to see that through the eyes of none other than God the Father. And that's pretty awesome to get to see Jesus through the one who knows him the best. So we're going to see four different things today about who Jesus is. And I want to dive right into that because the first thing we see in our passage here is that Jesus came to save us and open a way or the way, I should say, to God. Jesus came to save us and open the way to God. Here's what it says in verse 9 and 10. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Church, Jesus came to save. Amen. And I want to tell you, we can see this in this passage. The way that we see it first is in his identifying with us in every way. And that's an important theological concept that you should know. That Jesus identifies with us in every way. Hebrews 4.15 tells us this. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, a little foreshadowing, next week we're going to be talking about the temptation of Jesus and really filling out what this means and what it means for us, that he has experienced every temptation but without sin. Now, that's important because we get to our passage today and we see that Jesus goes to John, the baptizer, and he asks to be baptized. And we might say, well, why does Jesus need to be baptized? He was sinless. He had never committed a sin. There is no motion in Jesus's life where going forward to baptism is him saying, hey, I have sinned then, but now I'm not going to now. So why was Jesus baptized? Well, I've already told you it's because he identifies with us in every way. Matthew's gospel Chapter 3, verse 15, in the telling of Jesus' baptism, includes a conversation that we don't see in the book of Mark. It's important for our discussion here. In it, John asks Jesus, why would I baptize you? He asked the same question we might ask. And Jesus' answer to that is especially fitting and tells us exactly what's going on here. He says to John, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now that clearly was an answer good enough for John because he then baptized Jesus. What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? It means this. It means that Jesus perfectly lived everything that God asks of us. Everything. Every calling, every task, every righteousness, every service, every work. And yes, that includes baptism to which we as believers are called to. Jesus did it first, okay? And what happens in that is he identifies with us in baptism. We then identify with him 
in our own baptisms. As we humbly submit to the symbolic waters of baptism, I pray that every one of us who's a believer has been baptized. If you haven't, come talk to me. We'd love to have that conversation. As we humbly submit to the symbolic waters, we declare our need and our acceptance of what Christ has done for us. What we could not do ourselves. And in his baptism, Jesus showed his taking on the full weight and measure of man, identifying with us in every way. So that in our baptism, we might then be able to accept what he has done. Sinclair Ferguson writes this. He said, Jesus had come to stand where sinners should stand, receive what they deserve, and in return, give to them his gift of grace and fellowship. Jesus stands in your place and my place in this moment. And as he goes into that water, friends, he comes out far dirtier than he went in. Right? Into those same waters that would wash his believers, the followers, Clean, he comes out dirtier. Why? Because he identifies with us in that moment. This is the beginning of his taking on of sin and brokenness. Whereas he had taken on the weakness in his birth. So the first thing we see in this is Jesus coming to save us and to bring us to God. Now we see this in three other ways in this Passage And it's three through symbols that were given by, the, by, by Mark. The first is the River Jordan. Now, if you're a student of Scripture, you may remember that in the Old Testament, the River Jordan is the very river that the Israelites crossed after wandering the wilderness for 40 years and then coming into the Promised Land. God again parted the waters as he had done with the Red Sea, and the Israelites walked across on dry land. It should, not, it should not be taken for granted or, or by coincidence that just before this, we read about John preaching in the wilderness. And then Jesus shows up at the River Jordan because he is the way across that river from the wilderness of sin and brokenness to God. Many of us have seen or maybe even came to Christ through the evangelism method that we call the bridge, right? And you see one side with you and your sin and one side with God on the other. And Jesus, the cross, forms this bridge across. He is the bridge of dry land that crosses the Jordan for every one of us who would come to God. That's further affirmed in, in Mark's description here. It says, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And the language there, torn open, is the exact same word that will be used at the end of the book of Mark when it describes Jesus' death and the curtain in the temple being torn in two. That temple curtain covering over what is called the Holy of Holies, a place where no Believer could go except the one high priest once a year. And even then they would fear death for walking through that curtain unworthy. And when Jesus died, that curtain was torn open, symbolizing that you and I, people broken and messed up, sinful and wounded, get to be in the very presence of God now because of Christ. 
So you have the symbol, the River Jordan, the crossing over to the promised land. You have the heavens being torn open that we might be able to be there. And then you have, of course, the other symbol in this passage, and that is the symbol of the dove. And if you're a student of scripture, you know that the dove comes out of the story of the book of Noah's Ark. And after 40 days and 40 nights of rain and storm, and then more days beyond that of just wet right? Flooding all over, no place to land. They send the dove out. And before long, the dove returns with an olive branch that says salvation is possible for those afloat in the waves of death. And the dove comes down upon Jesus or the spirit comes down on Jesus like a dove, a sign of new life, rebirth, and salvation for broken and sinful humanity. Friends, what we see, the first thing we see in Jesus's baptism is that he came to save lost sinners and bring them the only way to God. The second thing that we see is that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. The Spirit fills Jesus. It's given to him in this moment to empower him, to show him, and to show the world that God's love and favor rests on him. Say, well, why did he need the Spirit? Didn't he already have power? Well, it's interesting when you look at Jesus, fully human and fully God And yet in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, we're told that what Jesus did in coming to us was to surrender or to lay down, to empty himself of that which would not have fit in being fully human. It says this, verse Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when Jesus came, when the Son of God, the the second member of the Trinity came to us, he emptied himself. And it's at his baptism that God the Father sends God the Spirit to come and dwell in him. And it's only after that that Jesus' miracles begin to be recorded. Yes, unhindered by sin and unhindered by the personal effects of a sinful life, Jesus was a remarkable man. We read about this in the Gospels. When he's a small boy, he astounds, right, the teachers of the law with his wisdom and his questions. But he performs no miracles. It's only after the Spirit comes at the beginning of his ministry in the baptism that prepares him for the ability to do the amazing things we think of God. Christ did nothing apart from the Holy Spirit's power in his life. Like Christ, hear this, church. We too can do nothing apart from the Spirit's power in our lives. 
I want us to, to hear this because it's good news for us. Right? Jesus came and he lived the same kind of life that we lived. And he was baptized and the spirit came into him. And guess what? When we come to Christ, we too are given that same spirit. And that spirit is poured out upon us. Why? So that we might live the same kind of life he did. The same spirit that empowered Christ is the same spirit we are given as believers. There is power for those of us in Christ. Now, I will tell you, the bulk of the message on the Holy Spirit will come from another passage and other passages. But we need to know right now, because Christ identified with us In every way, we too get to identify with him. And that begins with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Church, some of us are living dead, powerless Christian lives. And you don't have to. If you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit's already been given to you. To dwell in you, to live, to strengthen you and empower you and cause you to live like Christ. If that's not the case, then come meet with me. (laughs) Let's talk about it. So we see that Christ is called. He's sent to save sinners and bring them to God. We see that he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then we see that Jesus is loved by the Father. He is loved by the Father. Verse 11, it says, And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. This voice cries out, calls out, whatever that that is. And it, it says, With you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved Son. Now, the word that's used here is not the same word that's used in John 3.16 to describe the only begotten son. However, it is a word that when talking about one's child means loved and only begotten. This stems out of Genesis 22 verse 2. When God calls Abraham to give up his only son on the altar of sacrifice... Of course, if you remember that story later on, God saves Isaac from that with the gift of a ram. In Psalm 2-7, we are told that the psalmist writes out and there's the voice of God. He says, you are my son. Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 4, we see this again. This is a trend that God has been speaking all the way through Scripture. He's speaking of his son. He's speaking of the servant. He's speaking of the king of kings. And if you go to Isaiah 42, verse 8, what you see is it tells us that God will not share his glory with anyone. Yet, when you look at the baptism of Jesus, what do you see? He's sharing his glory with the son. Why? Because the son is God. Jesus is the focus. He gets all the glory, in fact, as it always has been with God's Son. 
These verses, what they do is lay out a purpose and plan for the son in the world. He will be the suffering servant. He will be the king. He will be God's chosen one. But as being those things, he is, we're told in scripture, loved by the father. In fact, that's the most important characteristic of all of them. And what we know is that this is an eternal love. The father, the love the father has for the son is eternal. It's rooted in the nature of God. In John 17, 24, Jesus praying says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. And hear this, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The love that the father has that he declares in this moment has always been and always will be. Amen. amen. If you said amen, I hope you will say amen to this because church, this is a love that you should know too. The love that God has had for the son from before all time is the very love that God has for you. See what's happening here? Jesus is identifying with us in every way. He's taking on what we are. Why? So that we can take on what he is. Church, as God declares to his son, I love you, my only begotten son, what he's saying is I love you too. That much. Right, That same God in John 3, 16, for God to love the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. Well, he gives his son to who? The world. That you and I might know that love, church, I got to tell you, God's love for you is eternal. It has always been. Because his love for you is the same as his love for his son. He only has one room for the love of one, right? He loves his children all the same. He's not like you and I who have favorites. So church, I want you to hear this. I want you to bask in this. And some of us, we run around thinking God is just looking at us, disproving of us and grumpy at us and angry at us all the time. If that's the case, you're not saved. Period. The God that loves his son loves you. And he loves me. I can't figure out why that could ever be. But he does. And the word tells us, church, just soak in this for a minute. Soak in the love of God for you declared through his love for his son who died for who for you not only that not only does god say that he loves his son but he also tells us that he that jesus is approved by god he is approved of by god look at verse 11 it says and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son with you i am well pleased so not only does he love him, but he is well pleased with him. And I got to say, I mean, how, how hard would it be to be well pleased with Jesus? Right? Like if Jesus is your kid, 
you don't have the occasion to be unpleased with him, right? He's done everything he's supposed to do. He honors his parents. He follows the word of God. He probably respects everybody around you, right? I mean, this is an easy guy to be pleased with. But we have to remember that this is the exact moment that Jesus has begun to take on the sin of the world. This is the exact moment when he begins to identify with sinners and brokenness and wickedness and evil. As he steps out into those waters, which are currently washing clean all kinds of other people, he's getting dirtier. And this is the moment that God chooses to say to him, with you I am well pleased. With you I am well pleased. Jesus' baptism is the first public portrayal of his identifying with and taking on the sin and brokenness of humanity. Now, in his incarnation, when he came as a baby, he began taking on the weakness of humanity, right? The frailty of humanity. But it's an identifying in the baptism of those sinners washed clean in the River Jordan that he's taking this on. And Jesus says, with you, I am well pleased. Now, there's a, a famous song. One of the lines of the song is when the father turns his face away. You know that song? Now I agree that on the cross there's a moment. Jesus cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And, and there's a moment where their relationship, which has been perfect in all humanity, is utterly broken because of my sin and your sin. And there's a moment in that where Jesus is feeling abandoned. But here's the thing. When Jesus says that, he's quoting out of Psalm 22. But at the end of that Psalm, it actually tells us this. You never turn your face from me. Look, God looks on his son, taking on the sin of humanity. He doesn't close his eyes. And in fact, he accepts him in that moment. He accepts what his son is doing, even though it causes pain to God to be so intimately involved in the sin of humanity. And yet, as Jesus says that, he knows he's not going to be forsaken long by God. He is accepted by, he is approved by his father and church just like I made a big deal a minute ago about you being loved by God because of Christ, guess what? You two are accepted by God because of Christ. You're accepted by Him. Not only that, but you've been chosen by Him, drawn into Him in relationship with Him through Christ. And the language here is powerful. He says, with you, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The, the language there, delight, joy, pleasure, right? God takes pleasure in you because of Jesus. Now I'll be the first to tell you, you do not deserve any of this. You do not deserve to be accepted by God. You do not deserve to be loved by God. I certainly don't. And if you knew the sin that had been in my life and still tries to be in my life, you'd know that. None of us deserve this. None of us earned this. What we are given is a gift by Christ. And that gift 
of salvation leads us to be accepted and loved and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We don't deserve it. He's the only one who deserves any of it. Yet we get it because he loves us and he cares for us. John 1.12 But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have given your life to him to save you, you've taken, received his living for you, then you need to know that you are loved, accepted, and empowered to be in the presence of God forever. And there is nothing that can steal you from that. Because he's the one that controls it. Not us. So church, here's a couple thoughts to finish up. Number one, Christ identifies with us in baptism so that we can enter into God's approval, love, and empowering. I've said this five times now at least in three different ways. In Christ, hear this, church. We who are in Christ do not find condemnation, judgment, or disapproval from God. If you are in Christ, I'm going to say it again, you do not find, should not find, cannot find, in fact, condemnation, judgment, and disapproval from God. It does not matter if you have your life together or you are an utter mess. You are loved, approved, accepted, and empowered by God. Okay? And we only get that through Christ. If you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day. Good news. It's not too late right now, but it might be in 20 minutes. It might be too late tomorrow. It might be too late next week. The good news is it's not too late right now. You're hearing this right now. We're still here. We're still breathing. Turn to Christ. And what God says to you in that moment is, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. That is what he says to you and me. If you're not in Christ, let me just tell you, if you're not in Christ and you're missing out on the greatest gifts that have ever been given to humanity, the love and acceptance of God the Father. We, we crave the love and acceptance of our earthly fathers and our mothers and all the people around us. And the God of the universe who made everything is looking at you and saying, hey, I love you. I have accepted you. Just accept that. So if you're not there right now, if you haven't gotten there, you're missing out on the approval and the love of the one who made us all. Another thing to think about is that Jesus' baptism shows us his identity, right? He is declared by God who he is. We get to read that, see that. It's amazing. Christ is told who he is at his baptism. In the book of Mark, Jesus is the one who hears this. In the other Gospels, John the Baptist is the one who hears this. Now, that doesn't mean that that's wrong, right? It means they all heard it. But Mark's point is Jesus heard this. He is told by God who he is in his baptism. Church, guess what? If you've been baptized, you too have been told who you are by Christ in your baptism. 
God says to him, you are my beloved son. You, I am well pleased. Christ says to you in your baptism, you are a new creation. You're new in me. Let me ask you a question. If you've been baptized, you've heard those words or something similar to that by Christ. You are a new creation. Is that really who you are right now? Or is there something in your life right now that is your old self, your old person, and you have not been made new? There's nothing magical about baptism. There's nothing magical about baptism. Just because you get baptized doesn't mean that you're a Christian. We're Christians if we accept what Christ has done for us. And I just want to say that for some of us, we need to be thinking about our baptism. That moment when we declared to Christ, to God, to the world, to our own hearts, I belong to him and I'm going to do things his way and not the way of the world. And the question is, whose way are you doing things? Now, don't get me wrong. If you've come to Christ and you're a mess, he still loves you. But he's spoken to you who you are and who you're supposed to be. And the question is, are you that person? Are you becoming that person or are you not? So church, I want to invite you right now as we finish out this time to approach the throne of glory. We're told in the book of Hebrews that we can do so with confidence because Christ lived how we lived and was without sin because he loves us and he receives us. So for some of you today, maybe someone in this room right now, I guess this is probably true. There's someone who needs to, for the first time, give their life to Christ. They've been in church for a long time. They've been around Christ a long time, but they've never made Christ their own. They've never given their life. They've never accepted what he did. For some of us in here, man, we've done that. Praise the Lord. But we're still sitting in shame and judgment and condemnation, and we're wondering whether or not God even loves us today. Let me just say, you need to turn to the Lord and hear these words If you're in Christ, then you are loved and you are accepted because Christ is loved and accepted. I urge you to turn to the Lord today.